Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, very good afternoon, KT 230 service. Please take your seats, make yourself comfortable, make yourself at home. As you know, this month we continue on in our service, our theme of Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done. We're talking about walking by faith and not by sight. The key of living in the victory and living in the promises and living in faith with God is walking in the invisible, is walking according to the things of the word of God. Not looking to the temporal, not always looking to the things of the visible, but always walking by faith and looking to the things of the invisible. Looking to the kingdom of the living God and not to the kingdom of this age. The title of my message this afternoon is Obstacles to the Invisible World. Obstacles to the Invisible World. Why don't you turn over to me initially, two core scriptures that I'd like to pin my sermon on here this afternoon. Both complement one another, but are distinctly apart in terms of where they are in reference in the Bible. First of all, why don't you turn with me to John 1, 29. That's the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29. And then what I'd like you to do is just turn over also to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. And just hold your thumb there or put a marker there because we'll be going straight to that after we've read John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Why don't you turn over now to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Matthew 11, verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. On March the 19th, 2003, a great invasion was about to take place. In fact, it's regarded as the fastest invasion towards a capital in the history of warfare. Britain, America, and some of its allies had decided that the time was up on Iraq and they were to invade the nation because of the fear that they had the weapons of mass destruction. The fastest invasion ever to overthrow 
a capital city. I'm not passing comment here this afternoon on whether that war was wrong or whether it was right. Merely I want to extract a key point that I think we can learn from this invasion for us here today. From the 19th of March 2003, when the orders were come to advance towards Baghdad, the capital city, by the 9th of April, Baghdad had been seized and was in Allied hands. The Iraqi army was completely scattered and they were on with retreat. But something was a begin to shift in that battle. Such an arm of power, of military might, that of which was America and Britain and the Allies advancing toward that nation, they knew they stood no chance. They stood no chance against that arm of military might, tactical precision, and power of its armory. It had to change something and change something very quickly if they were to hold that nation. They had identified a weakness in the Allied forces. By 2007, 63% of Iraqi, of British, American, and Allied forces casualties came from a new device, as we know now, called the improvised explosive device. The power of this device, that it was unseen, it was invisible. Nothing was really created at that time in the military might to deal with this great resistance that they were going to face. They knew the vulnerabilities of the vehicles that they were up against. The British, American, Allied forces had armored their vehicles and their military might so well on the external, from the top, from the sides. But it was weak and its underbelly, their tanks, their vehicles. The enemy knew this and they devised the IED. It ripped through and held back this great advance of military might. They then were going to follow this tactics into the conflict of Afghanistan. And at this stage, in 2011, 66% of casualties were taken from IEDs. Looking back to AD 30, another great invasion was about to take place. And the enemy was about to come up with some new tactics to hold it back. In AD 30, there was a man called John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the son of Elizabeth, the cousin of who we know to be Jesus. Jesus, a young carpenter, also at the age of 30. He was his cousin, son of Mary. The prophecies and Messianic prophetic words that had been spoken from the prophets Isaiah were starting to take place. They were starting to build up to a key defining moment in history. This was going to be the ultimate invasion that history and mankind had ever, ever witnessed. It was the prophesied coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. John the Baptist there was in full flow of his ministry, stood there at 30 years old in AD 30, stood on the riverbanks of the River Jordan in the desert, proclaiming to those to repent of their sins and telling them the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent, 
repent. Thousands came from the cities to come to be baptized by John the Baptist in the river Jordan. And we read there in John 1.29, when he saw what was prophesied, the coming Lord Jesus Christ. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was about to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and enter in to the full flow of his ministry and calling that had been prophesied for thousands of years. A great invasion was about to take place. The enemy was not going to be able to hold back this great advance. The power of the gospel was going to be preached. The spoken word of that what was to come, the Holy Spirit was not just going to reside in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in Acts 1.8, on the day of Pentecost, we each and every one of us was to receive that power. The enemy couldn't hold on. He was on the withdrawal. The church was growing and building and the kingdom of God was advancing with signs and wonders and miracles. The lepers were being healed. Deaf were being restored. They were hearing the preaching of the gospel with such power and authority like never before. The enemy, he truly was defeated. He could no longer live by his old tactics. He had to find a new tactic. He had to find a weakness in mankind to begin to hold back this great advance. The greatest weakness that he found in humanity was the human mind. We know we've all been justified, we've all been sanctified by faith, but that sanctification, that justification is still working itself out in areas of our mind that are yet to be fully renewed and will not completely be renewed until the ultimate coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he will take full ownership once again of this earth. John the Baptist, he was a precursor to Jesus. And he was declaring the way of the Lord. It was written in the book of Isaiah that he was the one crying in the wilderness and he was to make straight the ways of the Lord. He was creating a highway for the landing of great kingdom might to land into earth and begin to invade, just like Britain and America did in that Iraq war, the fastest invasion in history. But we were going to be held back a little bit by our mind. Now, I don't know if some of you, just like John the Baptist here this afternoon, life is going well. Everything that's been spoken over your life is coming to fruition. You're like John the Baptist. All the prophecies Isaiah has, has been told is coming to pass. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. The Spirit will come and descend upon him. John the Baptist was seeing all this come to fruition. Point A was joining up with point B. Point B was joining up with point C. Point C was joining up with point D. His mind was running ahead going, yes, this is how it's all going to work out. I see it so clearly. I see the scriptures so clearly. You yourself have seen so clearly the things that God is going to do in your life. Everything's coming to fruition. It's a great feeling, isn't it? We've all been there. Fantastic. Moments in my life where I've seen so clearly the things of God. 
John the Baptist to the measure that he was in the desert with such great expanse around him to the signs and wonders that were coming in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Naturally speaking, the vision that he had to see so clearly, spiritually, the vision he had so clearly, both were in synergy and both were going so well for him. Do you know they say that an untrained pilot in a cloud will only last for two minutes until he loses control and orientation of that aircraft. I remember myself one day, I was doing something called hey-ho, high altitude, high opening parachuting. Me and my men, a five-man team, we were fixed up and ready to go. 15,000 feet in the air. Anything above that, we'd need oxygen masks. The air is so thin. But it was a beautiful, sunny day. And as we began to walk in line behind one another towards the tailgate, as we were waiting for the dispatcher to release us over our target area, I looked out the back of the aircraft and I saw the beautiful sunrise and I was looking down on a big, fluffy cloud below me. It felt as if I was going to jump out there and be softened by it. It was such a beautiful sight. I didn't know what was beyond that cloud on the other side. I had done my map reconnaissance. I had my bearing to target to where we had to get to approximately 14 minutes under the parachute. And the comfort that we had was that I could see so clearly before me. Each one of us laid our hands on each one in front of him's shoulder, and we'd give each other just a squeeze. We couldn't talk. The engine was so loud. The tailgate was open, of which we were looking out the back on. The noise would have been too much, but just the comfort of knowing that our friends were there, squeezing our shoulder, brought strength to our bones. Being a Christian man, I recited the word of God over my life. Psalm 1, Psalm 23, Psalm 91, Psalm 124. Renewing my mind because naturally we fear we're just about to jump from 15,000 feet. Accidents do happen. It's dangerous the amount of kit and equipment we've got dangling around us. To be entangled, to have collision in the air is dangerous. I'm nervous. My legs are shaking a little bit but I have the strength of God in my heart and in my life that I continuously try and renew my mind too, that I shall not fear. Eventually we jump. We're so close together because we have to jump together. We have to land together. We've got a job to do. We jump one by one after each other. We look up. We make sure our canopy's right. And the biggest danger that we are about to face is collision. We've all got to stay tight together. We've all got to follow each other down to our target area. And I can see so clearly, the canopy opens, we're all safe, we get on the radio, canopy's good, canopy's good, tracking towards target. We get our bearing that we've got fixed to, that we have to follow. I don't need it at this time, so I can see clearly before me. But we begin to descend and descend and descend, and again, the vision starts to become impaired as we begin to enter into the cloud base. It's cold in there. It's wet from the clouds, the moisture, the wind slapping against you. Things that I hadn't noticed before when things were going smoothly, I now begin to recognize. 
I go through turbulence. We've all been on an aircraft when we go through turbulence. One minute it's nice and smooth, and then it begins to shake. Exactly the same with parachuting. My canopy is beginning to falter and shake. It begins to close up, and I begin to accelerate, and then it begins to open up again as we go through different pockets of air. I look up, and I've never really noticed it before, but all I see holding me to this parachute is thin, tiny bits of string. Suddenly, my mind starts playing tricks on me. What if one of those snaps under a big jolt under this air pressure? I start noticing my hands are cold. Cold. I didn't notice that before. I cannot see my hand in front of my face. All I'm having to trust in is my instruments, my global positioning system and my secondary backing up device of my basic compass which is on its bearing. Suddenly I start to doubt, have I set my compass right? Have I set the right bearings? Suddenly I begin to fear, what if my friend also or my colleagues haven't set their bearing right? We're so close together, what if they come screaming through that cloud, going approximately 80 to 100 miles an hour? What if we have a collision? From this distance above us, the canopy will collapse and we will plummet to our depths. All these thoughts hadn't crossed my mind, but suddenly why now are these voices screaming in my head? I'm confused, I begin to get disorientated, and I begin to fear. But then we come out underneath the cloud base. And we see so clearly before me the ground. But interestingly, the ground that I had anticipated seeing when I came out that cloud base to look down underneath me didn't look like I thought it would look either. Have you ever had that in your life? The way that you thought God was going to function in your life or the things you thought God was going to do didn't quite line up to what you anticipated. My, ground, my map reconnaissance wasn't quite lining up with the ground. I was a little bit unsure of where we were navigating to. But then I get a little bit more hope. I can see clearly before me once again, and my colleagues, I begin to see them. Everyone's sticking true to their direction, and we begin to go to target. All we can rely on in that time when everything begins to cloud around us is our compass, is our devices our global positioning system. And that's the same for you and I. When clouds of life begin to descend around us, all we can trust and depend on is the leading of the Spirit, is the things and the Word of God. Yes, sometimes things might not be lining up the way that we had originally thought. But as long as we hold tight to the things of God, things will begin to line itself up. Surely they will. You see, John the Baptist, we are reading there of how confident he was on the river banks of the Jordan, everything coming to fruition, preaching the things of the kingdom, even standing up to King Agrippa in that time. You don't stand up to kings back in those days. They're under great Roman oppression. You would be killed for standing up against the king. But so bold and confident was he that he would have the energy, that he would have the authority, that he would have the confidence and assurance of the kingdom of God that was coming, that was proclaimed that he could stand up against an earthly king. Such confidence, such authority. And King Agrippa was fearful of that. As we read in John 1.29, they're preparing the kingdom. But a shift 
was about to happen. We read in Matthew 11:2 that suddenly John is now in prison. To the measure of him being in the desert place and seeing so clearly the life before him, naturally, spiritually speaking, now he's in a prison cell. And naturally, his vision is closed in. All he can see is the prison wall around him. Apparently, you don't want to be in prison back in those days of what these men had to go through. And spiritually as well, something begins to happen. From proclaiming with such confidence the things of the God and the coming of the kingdom, now he's starting to doubt, isn't he? So we read on in 11.2 again. He says, and I, when... John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look to another? What? Hold on a sec, John. You were just proclaiming with such authority the coming kingdom. You were declaring him as Christ. And now, you're asking if this is the one or not? You can imagine, can't you? John there, stuck in prison. Before he went into prison, he would have had all his possessions taken off him. His mobile phone, his wallet, everything that reminded him of home. Probably his Bible as well, the readings of the book of Isaiah maybe. I don't know. For as far as I'm aware, there would have been no Wi-Fi signal back in that dungeon deep down. He would have wanted surely to get hold of Jesus. Send him a quick email. Lord, what's going on? I thought... This was going to come to pass. You're meant to be the coming kingdom and overthrow this Roman rulership. What's happening? I'm stuck here in a dungeon. I've been faithful, proclaiming your name. You even affirmed my ministry by being baptized under me. But what now? What's happening? He's frustrated. He can't get in contact with the outside world. Suddenly he saw, sees Bob and George. There's a, maybe, maybe, I don't know, there's a little crack in the dungeon. Maybe this, in the cell, and he can look out into the streets or look out into the area, and he sees two of his disciples, Bob and George. Bob, George, come here, lads. Quickly, come here. I need to ask you something. Go ask this Jesus. Go ask my cousin. What on earth is he playing at? What's happening? The kingdom's meant to be coming. I'm stuck here in this prison. He's meant to have overthrown the king by now and taken rightful ownership of that throne like he should do as the king and as the Messiah. He's confused. He tries to go on Facebook to get some more information on what's happening out there. What images can I see of what Jesus is up to? He can't see. and Clearly, he's confused. Disciples come running up to Jesus. Bob and George, Jesus, Jesus, your cousin there in prison. He's, he's a little bit confused of what's happening. He just wants a little bit of confirmation. Are, are you the coming Christ or, or shall we wait for another? Jesus here, what does he say? I know what he didn't say. He doesn't say, do you know what? I've forgotten all about that, John. Yeah, he's stuck in prison, isn't he? Hey, I'll tell you what, lads. Listen, stop the advancing of the kingdom Stop healing the sick. Stop casting out the demons. Stop restoring the brokenhearted. Look, come together. I've forgotten all about my mate John. Let's get a bit of a gift box together for him to send him, shall we? Just to comfort in prison. What can we put in there? I know, he loves honey. 
He loves honey. Let's get some honey in this box for him. Let's get a kilogram of locusts. He likes his locusts. Let's put that in the box for him. I know he loves Top Gear. Let's get a magazine of Top Gear in there. And I expect he's not been able to keep up with EastEnders. Let's get some re-recorded editions of EastEnders. Let's put it in there. Let's send it away to him. That will comfort him just for this time. Oh, and just send him my love as well. Tell him not to worry. Everything's all right. He didn't do that, did he? You know, it's said that in a time of crisis, in a time when we're feeling down, when we're feeling spiritually low, we don't need comfort. Now, I'm not negating that or the importance of comfort, the importance of emotional affirmation. The greatest tool that you and I can have when we are rock bottom when life isn't turning out the way that we thought is doctrine, is the gospel, is the good news, is the truth of the kingdom and the things of this age and recalibrate our minds to the bigger picture of what life is all about. Jesus Christ and him crucified, the advancing of the kingdom. See, Jesus didn't send him a gift bag, did he, of all his favorite goodies? But what did God, what did Jesus send to John the Baptist in that lowest time of his life, I'm sure, stuck in that dungeon? What does he say? Go and tell John the things you see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John would have known. He knew his word. He knew the prophecies of Isaiah. Suddenly his mind is being renewed and recalibrated again. From the level of that dungeon was closing down his vision to the level that he was caught in that cloud and the tricks of the mind were beginning to take a grip of him. God feeds him the word of God. It imparts it into his spirit. It brings strength to his bones, surely. It recalibrated his eyes. Ah, yes. Of the sequence of the things that were foretold and said. John had the right words. He knew his word, but the wrong timing. The wrong timing. Jesus was going to come and overthrow that government once and for all. And he will in due season. But the judgment expected by John will not take place right then as he had thought, but at the consummation in the ultimate age to come, the second coming of Christ, where he will once and for all take ownership and rulership as a king and great high priest upon that throne. He is now, and you and I know, now have the kingdom in us, but ultimately it will come and he will take ownership right then in the time to come. John was right. He just needed doctrine. 
He needed the word of God to remind him. He still would have been stuck in that dungeon. Life would have still been closed down and it still would have hurt, but he would have had a hope inside him. The word of God, the hope unto salvation. That's what he needed. That's what he needed above all else. There's times in our life, isn't there, when we begin to doubt, when we begin to fear, get discouraged, Obstacles are holding us back in our life. And the greatest obstacle is that of our mind. We get disillusioned, we get discouraged, don't we? I like what some of my study notes say here about fear. Because we know, why does Jesus say, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, joy, peace, power, and of a sound mind. Why, above all the things, would he say, I've not given you a spirit of? Why is fear such an eminent thing? Fear, in the original Greek, is phobio. Phobio. Phobio is defined as a panic that grips a person, causing him to run away, be alarmed, scared, frightened, dismayed filled with dread, intimidated, anxious, and apprehensive. Basically, Jesus, through declaring that he's not given us a spirit of fear, is urging his followers not to have a phoebo, not to have a fear of men, which is destructive. But he's exhorting us to have a reverential awe or fear of God, which is constructive. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a stare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be secure. The New Testament upgrades this thought with 1 John 4, 18, and says, Perfect love casts out fear. Being filled with God's Spirit will cause you to become fearless. 2 Timothy 1, 7. The power of the gospel unto salvation. You see, in Hebrews 11.24, again, looking at the original Greek word for a certain word in this scripture, in 11.24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now look at this. For he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. And that stood out to me when I read that. And I wanted to do a further little study on that word, look. In the original Greek, it's the word apoplebo. Apoplebo. And apo means away from, and plebo means to see. Look away from and to see. Basically, this word look is saying look away from everything else that is causing that fear causing that distraction. 
Look away from the cell walls. Look away from the things of the cloud and the fears that your mind is telling you. And look in order at one thing intently. It's saying look away from those things, but look at one object. Look at one thing and look at it intently. Intently. What is that one thing we've got to look at intently and above all else? It's that word of God. It's the voice of the Spirit. Not the things of the natural, not the things of the, that discourage us, that disheartens us. Do you know when you're riding a motorbike, the first thing they say is, you don't turn the handlebars to direct your vehicle. But look to the direction that you want to go, and the bike will follow suit. Look to where you need to go. Look to where you're heading. Look to the things of God and everything else. When you're walking in faith, will begin to direct you. Obstacles of faith, fear, discouragement, disheartening. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, most of the unhappiness in life is because you are listening to yourself and not talking to yourself. You know that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Don't listen to yourself. Your mind will play tricks on you, just like it played tricks on me when I was engulfed in that cloud. Just like John the Baptist, I'm sure, his mind playing tricks on himself. Don't listen to yourself, but speak to yourself. Speak to yourself in faith. Declare the word of the living God, the power unto salvation, into the core of your being, and allow that to dictate you, and not the things of the natural circumstance that are trying to engulf you and overtake you. That is the enemy's new improvised explosive device for your life. Lies and deceit. They're not of the things of God. It's the gospel of God news. Good news. Renew your mind unto it. Look away, Apple Playbow, and look to the one thing intently. The word of God, the solid rock, the refuge, the one to which you look to, the which, one to which you stand on. Let it quicken your spirit, let it empower and strengthen your bones. You know, Moses was an incredible man of faith, wasn't he? How many times would he have had to apple plebo when he was stood there in front of Pharaoh? When he was stood there with the Israelites behind him that he was leading out to the wilderness and facing the Red Sea that God was asking him to walk over. When they were starved and parched and God provided for them supernaturally manna. When he struck the rock when they needed water and provided water for them. How much would a Moses have to have looked to the things of God and not to the natural circumstance? In a wilderness, barren, no water, no food, but trusting by faith that God would provide. Trusting he would make a way through a sea. And Joshua, his right-hand man, would have seen all this, but under his shadow. And then he would have been asked, 
to take over Israel and lead them into the promised land. He had seen the great things that Moses done before and probably expected A to follow B, to follow C, to follow D, that eventually E would be to enter the promised land. But God said, no, Moses, you won't be leading my men into the promised land. Joshua, stand up. This is your moment. Can you imagine in that moment how Joshua would have felt? The weight of responsibility of Israel now on his shoulders and how to lead the people, God's people, into that promised land. This is what God said to Joshua in chapter 1 at that moment. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan and you, all this people, to the land which I am giving to them the children of Israel. And I want to speak these words into your heart right now. Every place that your soul with your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you have, shall decide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all that which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or hand to the, to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law, this book of the law, this book of the word of the living God shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good successes. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven says these words. By faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. Seeing him who is invisible. With your natural eyes, he is invisible, but through the word of God, he is more visible than anything else that you can lay your natural eyes to. Stay in the word. Know the plans of the enemy. Know the weakness of our soul, but the strength of it when it's renewed with the word of the living God. Apple Playbo, look to that which is firm, look to that which is secure, look to the word of God in every aspect, in every facet of your life. Look away and look to the things of him. Let's stand to our feet here this afternoon, KT. And let's just bow our heads right now in Apple Plebo.
just apple plebo right now, look to the things of the living God. I don't know if you feel like you're in a cloud right now in your lives. You feel like you're in a dungeon. You're fearful. Things may not be turning out the way that you feel or felt or foresaw. You may be feeling discouraged or disheartened. The age of this culture, the things of this world are tying you down. You think there's no hope. You think there's no future. You're thinking to yourself, what is the point? Do you know, just like they did with John the Baptist, when we take prisoners of war, the first thing we do is disarm them. The second thing we do is isolate them. The first thing, third thing we do is we categorize them. The enemy wants to disarm you. He wants your negative thoughts and he wants to use it against you because he's got no power over it, you and that of what you give to him. He wants to use that against you. He wants to isolate you. That's why our senior minister has built the cell vision here at Kingston Temple. Because in amongst those small cells clustered all around the city of London, wherever you live, you don't have to be isolated. There's groups of people meeting all over the city where you can be encouraged, where you can be affirmed, where you can hear through one another the voice of God. When I was in those clouds and I was parachuting, I had such confidence when I felt the arm of my colleague on my shoulder when we were about to jump. We were in it together. We were with each other. Although we were having to jump individually, we were in the air. We were on communications with each other. It's such a comfort. Iron sharpening iron. Being with other believers. Them seeing things that you can't always see. It's a team effort. I want to encourage you, if you've not already got into a cell group here at KT, speak to reception. Get yourself into a group and a band of brothers and sisters who can watch out over you. You don't have to be isolated. You don't have to be disarmed. You don't have to be categorized. Apple Plebo. Look to one thing intently. The Lord Jesus Christ and the bigger picture of mankind. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person here this afternoon. That we will look to you above all things. Father, I pray for your spirit of power, your spirit of life, your spirit of love to comfort and to renew our minds to the things of you. We break the strongholds of the lies of the enemies that have been spoken upon us. We break free from that containment. We break free from the clouds that are inhabiting in us to see so clearly. We fix our eyes upon you, the author and finisher of our, of our faith. We break free from those dungeons of captivity through the power of the Spirit. Break every chain that is hindering us and holding us back, Father. May the voice of the Word, may the voice of your Spirit be louder 
in our souls, into the hearts of our being, than the lies and the deceits of the fallen world. We fear God and we don't fear man. We can stand tall, we can stand strong in knowing, Lord, that even if things are not unfolding that we originally foresaw, we will take heart and be reminded of you, Lord Jesus, ultimately being the king and have everything in hand. You lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, empower your people here this afternoon. And we apoplebo and we look to you above all things, the author and finisher of our faith and the great I am. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.